Welcome to No Finish Line, a podcast with John O'Regan, sponsored by Great Outdoors Dublin. Hello and welcome back to No Finish Line podcast. This episode is a recording of a Great Outdoors Instagram Live that was a Q&A with Matthew McConnell and Irish international ultra runner and adventurer Ian Keat. Ian talks about his life as an ultra runner and adventure racer. He tells us about how he got involved in the sport, how he trains, and he gives a few other tips and tricks that he learned along the way. So if you were someone who's thinking about taking on your first ultra marathon, maybe this is one for you. Hope you enjoy. Hi Ian, how are you getting on? Good, finally got there. <laughs> okay, well, we've, we've done all the tr- troubleshooting at this end. If anything was going to fail technically, it was good, it would have failed in the in the previous five minutes. So it's good to know that we've got a good signal established here. Good, yeah. <laughs> good stuff. So um, first off, maybe introduce yourself to the people that um, are watching um, or listening after the fact that aren't fully aware <laughs> of uh, what you've done and what you've accomplished. Um, and then we'll jump into it from there. So I suppose I've been an ultra runner and adventure racer for about uh, 20 years or so now. Uh, I did my first uh, running race was back in 1998, which is the Dublin City Marathon. I was a hill walk, mountaineer before that and a hill walker before that. Uh, before that, I was a golfer. Before that, I was a pitch and putter. So <laughs> we won't, we won't lot... go too far down the line after after you go to pick, pitch and putt. I won't get you to go much lower down than that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's hard. It's hard. Uh, so I've kind of been living life backwards that way. And uh, yeah, in the last twenty years, I've just sort of been going longer and longer and trying to tick off all the big. Um, what would you call them, bucket list uh, adventures and runs that I could get to and done a reasonable job of them. So some of the things mm-hmm. I've done been things like uh, I've won the Spine Race, I won the UTMB Oman two years ago, I hold a record for running Mizzen which was about 10 years in the planning in my head. Um, what else? Uh, I've taken part in about four or five adventure racing world championships around the world. Um, a race in all kinds of environments. I think I got the highest Irish finish in the UTMB ever, which is 20th. And uh, I've been on the age group podium twice in that race. Um, no, I mean, we, we, we could really keep going with this list. Like, it's, it's a pretty exhaustive list. Um, I was just looking on your... Uh, on the website there just before just today um in preparation for this and it's a pretty exhaustive list like you can keep scrolling down there for quite a while um so yeah, I, I suppose just just something that you mentioned there that i'm really curious about i heard um as well in a in an interview that you did with john o'regan you mentioned your sort of past as as a mountaineer and and stuff of that nature where where did that come from and what sort of things did you do in the in the sort of alpine mountaineering world and then why did that translate over to running well it, I, it grew out of hill walking and uh, indirectly from running mountain marathons um, so I had friends who were doing hill walking and uh, they were also doing mountain marathons and I kind of just followed them into that world and then uh, they decided to go on an alpine training course one year and uh, I liked the sound of it you know, sounded really interesting. So the following year, I went on one myself at uh, my uh, 
Ranton Martin teammate, my uh, an old buddy of mine from Cove, Pat Kidney, and um, we met a few other people on the course and made new friends, and it was great. And I really loved getting into the Alpine's uh, peaks. So we learned how to climb peaks for ourselves, basically you know, free of guides, and yeah. uh, off we went. Uh, so about say for another three or four years at least we were every summer made trips over the highlight for me of the the mountaineering uh part of my life was uh, when myself and my main climbing buddy burnt time we did the matterhorn uh the wow. ridge and that was just an epic day out we were about 18 hours doing that and it was just the most wonderful day out the mountain just non-stop scramble up and down absolutely brilliant loved it uh, I mean, you're no, you're no stranger to the the to the long the long days. Um, do you ever see yourself going back and doing more stuff in in the high mountains, or are you firmly sort of planted in the world of adventure racing and ultra racing now? I probably li- reached the limits of my fear in the high mountains mm. in terms of uh, I'm actually afraid of heights. So uh, it spent many years sort of getting over that. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly, climbing the Matterhorn is a good test of that because you're. Yeah. <laughs> sitting hanging out in the ridge for 18 hours um yeah it, it, it does teach you to mentally uh how to handle your fears and how to handle stress and things like that so that was all good but uh i wouldn't be the most able or capable rock climber uh so it does tend to limit me that and, and the fear of heights in terms of what i could actually do in the apps so i definitely wouldn't be on for the um the higher mountains like the, the Himalayas or whatever and big peaks like that. Um, I've been following the likes of uh, Hannah recently and so on. And it's all very inspiring, but I just say to myself, nope, not millionaires, no way. Yeah. <laughs> the risk reward just isn't there for me. I was just thinking about it. No, I wouldn't. If I find myself, you know, at Camp 3 on K2, I'd be just looking to get out of there, <laughs> you know, because I yeah, just... Yeah, I mean, it was incredible even just watching from afar the the winter K2 expeditions that were going on over the past couple of months, just incredible levels of like just incredible expeditions by the looks of things. Um, be really cool. It would like as somebody who has quite a lot of interest in, in doing a bit of that in the future. Um, it looks like an awesome adventure and doing something like the, the Matterhorn will be amazing. Do you, one thing that you touched on there was the, like the mental aspect and how like confronting that fear of the uh, fear of heights and stuff like that with mountaineering. Do you feel like that um, has sort of translated now to the mental side of like being however many days into a multiple stage ultra race, being able to sort of rationalize the fear and discomfort of that? Yeah, it absolutely did. And I think it was a great background to have getting into ultra running as well, because as you say, you know, that, that, those big, long days in the mountain, it translates, you know, quite well to ultra running because, you know, there are big, long days in the mountain as well. You're just mm-hmm. moving on easier terrain a little bit faster. And that's, you know, it's a bit of an advantage when you know how to handle yourself in, you know, the, the higher peaks and, and getting up to 4,000 meters and, you know, using crampons and ice axes, etc. then, you know, doing something like the UTMB is relatively trivial in terms of its technicality. Uh, so, you know, yeah, I've yet to be intimidated from a technical point of view in any running race I've done, or yet to have that same fear I'd have got in mountaineering. So it's definitely an advantage to confronting your fears and getting over them and then stepping back a bit, you know, you take that. Yeah. But yeah, it, it does that handling stress definitely <coughs> it translates to to not just running but to life 
know? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, one thing that you said there, um, uh, you were talking about the technic technicality of the running and something that people mightn't um, appreciate is like, for example, the uh, UTMB Oman that you, that you won um, there in 2019, was it? It was. Um, like there's still sections of that that are basically rock climbing, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, where like so, ropes are required or yeah there there's some uh, via ferrata there where you're you're definitely hanging out on uh, on a bit of a cliff and uh, going pretty much vertically up rock and very technical running in terms of uh, not difficulty in terms of uh, falling off a cliff so much as uh, the likelihood of tripping and smashing yourself to pieces is extremely high uh, and you could also go tumbling for quite a distance but yeah. uh, not directly down. <laughs> and so, so for people that aren't aware, what was the UTMB Oman as far as like the numbers um, around it and that sort of thing? Uh, it was 170k, but it ran a lot longer because it was so technical. Because um, mm -hmm. the UTMB itself is also about 170k. But uh, the same year I did the UTMB in 28 hours, I did Oman in 36 and you know i was running equally well in both it just shows how much more technically difficult oman was and how much more climate ascent and dealing with desert heat and so on you know uh, just uh, basically the most probably the most technical running race ever did not the most difficult but the most technical yeah i mean I, i'd be remiss to as as a representative of a outdoor um clothing and equipment shop it would be remiss for me not to ask a little bit about equipment for that race like for something where you're out for 30 plus hours do you, are you carrying a lot or are you trying to go as light as possible yeah always trying to go as light as possible while still having everything you could possibly want and that's the that's the balance you know you'd rather have a little too much than too little uh, you know mm -hmm. the old classic better to be looking at it than looking for it so, uh, you know, there's a few things I'll, I'll carry a spare, even if it's not on the mandatory kit list, would be like something like a head torch. Because, you know, if you're in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere, and your head torch goes, you know, that's pretty hard to recover from. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but always, you know, it's that balance. And uh, in, in the cycling world, we used to say strong, light, cheap, pick any two. In, uh, in the running world, it, it kind of translates to sort of uh, light, cheap, Quality and pitch. <laughs> yeah. And the two I pick are quality and light. And, uh, yeah, you know, it, no, it's, it's definitely a good, uh, a good choice. Yeah, because you, you know, because you've got the access to all the Columbia. I have access to all the Columbia bit, but even stuff I buy for myself. I mean, if you've seen me in the shop, I, I wander around, and if I see something I like, I'm just probably gonna get it, you know, because mm -hmm. uh, it's. It's just not even worth thinking about. Uh, it's my number one hobby. It's uh, what else would I be spending my money on? What we joke about all the time in Great Outdoors is that the, the staff are the best customers. Yeah. Because quite a lot of the time we're spending a lot of time around the stuff. Um, we know everything about all the little little aspects that make this tent cooler than that tent and all that. Um, so... From that point of view, I can definitely relate that I probably have too much, like as far as running shoes and stuff like that. But it's hard to hard to say no. Yeah, it is very hard to say no. And and the other thing is, you know, um, if you're competing in a race, you know, you spend a lot of time training for it. So 
throwing a little bit of money at it is a relatively trivial thing to do compared to yeah. hours and hours and hours. So uh, it, it's well worth doing from my point of view. Plus, when you're heading into more extreme environments, which would be, you know, the spine is probably one of the more, despite it just being England, it's probably one of the more dangerous environments I'm in just because of the weather conditions. So, yeah. you know, when you're in the middle of Storm Brendan or whatever the hell it was last year, which absolutely walloped us on um, <laughs> the night of that race. Uh, and I don't think uh, myself and John, the, the winner, both agreeing uh, that John Kelly, the, that was as severe rider conditions as, as we ever had, you know, despite yeah. the fact it's just, you know, it's not high mountains, but it's just, you know, moors in England and we got absolutely hammered. And if you didn't have the best of gear, you'd be questioning your sanity, you know. Yeah. This is where the, the you know, Going 100% as opposed to 90% and getting the best gear makes a difference, you know. And obviously, you want it as light as possible, but there's a point below which I won't go in terms of light. Yeah. You know? And I, I've said it in a few races, so, you know, uh, I think I said it in the spine one year to one of the race directors to not let anyone on the mountain who was dressed as a runner as opposed to a mountaineer <laughs> or yeah. a walker, you know. No, I mean, oftentimes we're looking at these photos coming out of the spine race last year and like the walking poles are out, the full waterproofs are out. It's not what you imagine really when you think running race. Yeah, it's um, not. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, very it's almost a totally different sport. Yeah, it, it's the expedition in the running for sure, but it's still running. You know, you're just yeah. wearing a lot of gear, but absolutely most definitely racing and running. You know, I, I, I tend to, even in a race of extreme as that, I tend to run more than 50% of it, probably about 80 or 90% of it I'm actually thinking I'm running. I might be actually doing yeah. a running mistake, but it's running effort anyway. In your head, you think, yeah. <laughs> um, just on like the the extreme nature of, of uh, these events that you're doing, uh, one of the lives we did a little while ago was with Jason Black. Yeah. And we were talking to him about um, like preparation for these, like when you're, you're out for so long that nature can really throw anything at you. So as far as training for something like the spine race, when you know you're going into it, maybe you're putting yourself out there as far as conditions. Are you training? If you see a bad weather forecast, are you going out for a long run in the hills? Um, or have you got a different way to sort of um, deal with that? I, I'm i actually a blue sky, sunshine and heat person. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't yeah, look I at the bad know. weather coming in and think, oh, yippee, it's completely yeah. the opposite. I have to absolutely force myself out the door. And of course, it's once you're out the door, it's easy because mm-hmm. you know, I will wear the right gear even in training. You know, and I, I mean, I'm probably warmer than most <laughs> runners out there uh, this time of year because uh, I'm just back from run and I'm wearing two of the three layers uh, that I was running. You know, and, and it's quite a lot of layers for which is quite a mild temperature at the moment, but I'm erring mm-hmm. on the side, you know, being comfortable. And I'm making sure to train that I can wear as much gear as I need to stay comfortable and be running. Yeah. Not to hesitate in putting it on because it's pretty easy to, pretty easy to cool down from being too warm in bad weather. It's very hard to warm up from being too cold in bad weather. Yeah, so, especially you know, if, you don't, if you don't have the right stuff with you. Yeah, exactly. And I wear, I, I carry a big rucksack with me in training, which has got uh, enough gear to get me up and down an alp. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, I've yet to... Is, is that a rock resistance rock. training thing then? Is that like you're doing that intentionally just to add extra weight? 
Yeah, I, I would intentionally carry extra weight because it, it's it's good training in the hills to be lifting more weight around. Plus, you know, if you're running a race like the Spine, uh, which has a lot of mandatory gear or any of the long, uh, ultra mountain races, which have a lot of ma uh, mandatory gear, then it's always good to um, to train with at least similar setup, um, preferably a bit more. So a bit more in my case, I carry bottles of water in the rucksack. And the thinking yeah. there, if it gets too much, I can just empty the water out and the way it's gone, as opposed to carrying expensive gear, which you don't want to empty out in the middle of the mountain. Yeah. <laughs> or weights or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Which is still our rocks, yeah. yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you think this, um, so one of the questions that just came in there was, how has lockdown and COVID sort of affected your fitness? Um, has it been a benefit or a detriment overall, do you think? Uh, overall, a benefit. Um, when when the lockdowns first came in, I think I got myself to my lightest weight as an adult after about two months of pretty good training and the lovely heat we had back in uh, mm. in March April last year. I really got my weight. Down. I lost. I was a little overweight when the lockdown started. I was well below racing weight by the by the time I ran into the first lockdown issue, which is I managed to give myself an injury. Uh, which rarely happens to me, but I, I, I think it was a very odd injury actually. I think I did it jumping out of bed because I cramped, which was probably because of the intensity of the training I was doing at the time. Mm -hmm. um, so and up to intensity across the board. The other thing I did is I normally commute in and out to work uh, by bike. Uh, and working from home these days, I didn't want to lose the, the, the cycling edge. So I now commute morning and evening by going out to the turbo trainer on the static bike in the shed and doing an equivalent amount of time, but that's more intense training than uh, straightforward cycling because I tend to ramp up the resistance on that. So overall, my my level of fitness is, is up because of the, the lockdown. Uh, and it, it probably, I'd say I'm probably one of the less affected people in terms of lifestyle as well, because you know, doing solo training most of the time anyway you know that that's uninterrupted uh, obviously it requires a little bit of working around in terms of uh, when we get constrained by geographical uh, factors mm -hmm. like 5k or county bounds or whatever and there's no long cycles going on you know that's all, <laughs> it's all gone yeah. that. but that's that's really uh, all of the way that it's affecting me i mean the lack of racing is a big frustration and uh, you know it's all next year next year now this year is next year and uh <laughs> yeah, next year is next year is next year if you know what i mean so hopefully you know i've had i've always had a race in front of me lined up and you know they're getting they get cancelled one by one but i always try and have a focus there to aim for and that there's yeah. something I'm running for and it does alter the way i train as well um uh, in that uh the, the next series the next race is coming up look like being mountain races so i'm working more on hill work or the, the next yeah. race yet to be cancelled was a flatter race i'd be doing more road work that kind of thing but it just gives an, a target and a name and something to go for you know yeah even like a lot of people i've seen are sort of setting their own uh like going for fkts or strava segments and things like that just to have some kind of focus uh to the training um, yeah. And just on that, I saw a question came in there from Nathan, thanks for the question, um, asking, and this was something that I actually had thought about beforehand, um, so great minds think alike, but he says, are you on Strava and how do you monitor your training? Um, 
I am on Strava, but there's nothing going on there because the last thing I posted was my Mason to Malin run, I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that's the only reason I went on Strava was to have somewhere to log stuff there. Uh, how do I monitor my training? Time, perceived exertion. So RPE, rate of perceived exertion. I don't, uh, I deliberately do not uh, know the distance and time of any training runs I do because that I don't want to go into paralysis by analysis. I basically, if I do a training run and it feels like a good run, and uh, you know, I, at the end of it, I think I did what I did. That's good enough for me. Uh, <laughs> you know, and if it feels like a bad run, that's, you know, the, the numbers aren't really going to improve that, you know, and most runs feel pretty good. I'm, I'm generally happy just for getting out there. So I tend to go out by time and effort. So it's like, I'll go out for two hours easy or I'll go out for, you know, six hours long run, very easy. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, the lights I hate, I'll go for one hour 40 fast, you know. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> um, so I set routes, but I don't have, I don't know what the actual distances are. And I, I kind of know roughly what they'll take, but I only, I just look at the watch. I don't even, and I look at minutes, I'm not looking at seconds, you know. So yeah. that took roughly whatever two hours. That's the kind of monitoring I do. It's not a lot. Yeah. And have you ever, have you ever had a coach or do you just sort of, as you say, do everything all feel yourself or when you're preparing for like a specific event, would you reach out for uh, external help for anything or is it all just experience-based? Uh, so it tends to be experience-based. I've, I've often wondered about getting a coach, but uh, you know, there's only a few out there who I even think of listening to, to be honest. Um, mm -hmm. um but I, I do, I'm always discussing things with people, especially people who I, who I consider, you know, running nerds, for want of a better uh, <laughs> expression, or even sports science nerds, better again, you know, who who uh, who have an, a, a interesting conversations with, to say the least, because uh, uh, one thing I say to most people about training, running, uh, uh, competing is question everything. Because there's an awful lot of, uh, lot of a lot of information out there that is just there and then never questioned, and it's just arisen over time, and there's not necessarily any justification for it. Yeah, you know, a couple of classic ones, you know, that, that I've always questioned to do it. Uh, you know, eventually you get proven right. You know, <laughs> like things like yeah. I, I never, you know. Uh, eating every 20 minutes, you know, I, I knew there was something wrong with that because of the way I was tending to have better endurance than people who are eating every 20 minutes, or as I might be eating every 20 hours <laughs> in comparison. Yeah. You know, then I learned about fat burning and realized what the hell was going on, you know, and uh, the old, uh, so my questioning was correct in that case. And I, I learned is just question everything that's coming at you because there's an awful lot of stuff that uh, doesn't make sense. And, you know, there's an awful lot of, conventional theory that doesn't necessarily apply um to running in general and particularly to ultra running you know <laughs> yeah especially for something for the kind of thing that kind of things that you're you're tackling uh, i doubt there's much scientific studies and things backing up like a six-day event for example there's not a lot no and it's unfortunate uh but it makes it interesting at the same time because when you you chat to your fellow multi-day runners you can you get really interesting conversations and you get really interesting viewpoints and there's a there's a lot of untapped knowledge out there. Uh, there there are one or two interesting doctors. Uh, the the there's a doctor, the American uh, 
uh, ultra team who uh, he's uh, he must be in his 80s now and he's just an amazing guy and he's just a world of knowledge and I picked up loads of tips from him and he'd be the kind of person I'd listen to every word he says because you know yeah he's been a he's he was a doctor in Vietnam and things like that so he's got a, a rake of experience and Pat uh, <laughs> was a runner himself and that seen you know all the runners and so on so he'd be, he probably has more medical knowledge ultra running Especially yeah, and, and on that sort of um, idea of uh, having a certain selection of people that you can really trust or really listen to, uh, one of the questions that came in from, or people that you look up to, uh, one of the questions came in from Rory Long there um, asking, which current ultra athletes would you say inspire you? The ones that inspire me tend to be people I know, uh, particularly the ones who stop me from saying I'm getting too old for this, which is the, <laughs> <laughs> which is the guys who are even older than me and are still out there chugging away and laying yeah. down good stuff. You know, they're, they're particularly inspirational for me, you know. Um, Tony Mangan, for instance, is, is walking around the world. He's a bit stopped at the moment because of COVID, but, uh, you know, he's on his second lap of the world, literally, or third, I think. <laughs> cycle that really young then he ran it over four years and now he's walking it you know he's a couple of years older than me so he's always been a bit of an inspiration that way you know just to keep going and there's lots of guys like that and uh, yeah it's not so much the obvious people but people out there enjoying it having fun you know and thinking about it uh you know the one the ones i listen to as i say they're they're generally the ones who would inspire me as well so yeah it's 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 not so much the obvious ones uh you know someone people like Killian uh funny enough he he would he would frustrate me at times because he, he's a bit too he sounds like he's too uncompetitive but I, I did come across an interview with him a few years ago where he said he likes to crush his opponents into the ground. <laughs> And when I read that, I said, yeah, Killian, now I like you. <laughs> yeah. You were too soft. <laughs> um, one question just came in there, um, and I'm sure this is one that you've probably got a prepared answer for now at this stage, but what would your sort of main things to focus on? What are your main top tips for somebody who's looking at uh, doing their first ultra? And maybe in Ireland, what event would you recommend? Well, the main thing is to do what you want to do, because uh, because having that motivation is key, uh, and uh, I, especially I I've seen it more in in more extreme circumstances in adventure racing where you realise what's important is not fitness or training or you know how how <laughs> sorry to say it, how much gear you have and so on and yeah. so on. It really does come down to desire and uh, you know that that internal motivation to you know you, you're doing this because you want to do it and you're you're gonna finish it because that's what you want to do and that's where the joy comes from you know and once you have that motivation it doesn't really matter uh, you know you don't if you wanted to run a marathon you don't have to start with by being a sprinter and working through the distances so you know if you want to run a, a 24 hour race just go run a 24 hour race you know if that's what you want to do you don't have to work up to it just go do it yeah any mm -hmm. race you you do uh, it's better to try it and not succeed and learn from that than to just theorize about it and wait until you think you're ready because you you learn yeah. more and I, it's always an attitude i go in the first time i do any races I, it doesn't really matter if i fail here 
as long as I learn while I'm doing it, you know, and that's my first 24 hour race, for instance, was uh, in competitive terms, <laughs> I made a huge number of mistakes, but the, the upside of that was, I don't think I learned so much from any single race as from that race. I just learned yeah. tons and stayed in there to stay learning, to, you know, despite uh, being unable to run for five and a half hours and things like that, just, just stuck, stuck at it and, you know, wanted to keep the experience going. and. Yeah, yeah, I just learned so much and came back and did so much better the second time because of, you know, listening to what was going on the first time. So my, my advice generally is do, you know, whatever you want to do, go do it. You know, simple as that. It's kind of a, yeah. kind of the, the Nike thing. Just do it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's really nice and sort of simple whenever it's boiled down like that because I suppose it's not like a, I don't know, a, a 20K trail race or something where um you could you can do it just because your friends are doing it kind of thing with with longer distance ultra stuff i'm sure you could vouch for this it, it has to it has to come from yourself if you're actually gonna get through yeah. it when it gets tough yeah yeah and I've, as i said i've seen that in in the, the the big adventure races the expedition adventure races when you're out there for five or six days as a team of four if one of the team is not in the same motivation it it, it tends to you know teams can absolutely crash apart and you know i've seen friendships end in those situations you know that that you know if someone isn't motivated in the same way and gives up on their teammates because uh, they don't have the desire that it can be it's you know it, it, it's a bad situation and uh, so yeah when i'm looking for for teammates that's what i look for so people on the same page i don't look for speed or uh, yeah it's just people on the same motivation people i'm going to enjoy being with uh, and people you know people who want to be mm -hmm. doing it so for ultra running it's the same thing you know just do the race you you're going to enjoy most do the race that's inspires you most or you know mm -hmm. it's the one, one that is really looming on your pocket list just go for it you know? yeah <laughs> if you no, i mean i feel like a lot of people um hopefully will hear that and that might be the kick up the ass for want of a better term that that they sort of want their they want the permission for somebody to say you can just go and do it if that's what you want to do. I'll, I'll um, give you an example of my first my first again I, I'm slightly beyond ultra running because it, it came probably before it in a more extreme example. My first adventure race was a five day adventure race uh, up in Northern Ireland, um, and the first uh, expedition length adventure race in the UK or Ireland, and it's way back in the year two thousand. And it, none of us knew what we were doing in terms of putting teams together. There was two, about eight of us, two teams worth. And I went into that and I had a hill walking background and I could navigate. And that was my, pretty much my skill set. But there were nine sports in this race. Like I couldn't swim and there was a two kilometer swimming section and I was afraid of the water. Uh, mm. I couldn't kayak and there was multiple kayaking sections. I hadn't cycled since school. I'd never mountain biked and there was massive mountain biking sections. Uh, there was horse riding, so all kind of stuff. And with nine months to go, I basically needed to learn how to kayak, how to swim, how to horse ride, uh, how to get over my fear of kayaking and swimming and so on. And you just, again, motivation just went, did it. And uh, when, when it came to the race, just hung on in there and uh, you know, made it all the way around and had an absolute blast, you know, and, and the end result was, you know, uh, I, I 
got one of my favorite sports of all time. Mountain biking was picked up along the way, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, kayaking <laughs> became a, a sport I loved as well. But yeah, it was, you know, just go for it again, you know. Once the motivation was there, once I wanted to do it, that was the, the driver. And that's the key. So, and I was totally out of my depth going in there. But again, I learned so much in that race, which, which yeah. carried on into, and still carries on, you know, some of the learnings in that race. Um, so sticking with the sort of multi-sport um, vibe with the conversation, the question came in there from Tom just saying, um, you're a cyclist and a runner. Would you consider taking on John Kelly at his grand round? <laughs> no, I wouldn't because he's way faster. <laughs> you know how fast John is, but John was a pro-level triathlete. Uh, John has the, uh, what did he say? I can't remember. I think he has the slowest sub nine hour, how did he put it? He's the slowest swimming leg for a sub nine hour uh, Ironman. Oh, wow. That's how fast the cyclist and a runner he is. <laughs> He's such a terrible swimmer so he's he's uh and if you see him on the ground around he's actually in his try you know the first time we did it you can see him in his uh triathlon bike tucked in uh he's a speedster so uh <laughs> or even high. doing anything similar like um i know that there is something similar in ireland where it's the four biggest peaks in each province each province um but i believe that i i'm not sure if that's a cycling in between event or if that's no. just no, and I actually have thought about doing that as a as a cycling in between because it's only been done by driving in between or in the case of uh, one group helicoptering in between single bit points. But why not just drop think kind of the helicopter drop you on the peak? Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, if once you once you start using engines, I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah, if it's if it's not your own Ian Keith special diesel engine, then you're not interested. Which actually uh, brings us back to a previous question about inspirational people. Uh, Robbie Bryson is uh, uh, an old school hill runner. Uh, when John Lenehan won the world championship, Robbie was, was he third or fourth in the same race. But, you know, he could, and Robbie still holds the uphill record for the Snowden International race, I think. So he's a tremendously accomplished runner. But uh, he has... My favorite record in Ireland, which is uh, the seven Munros by Human Power. So he, he set off from Lugnaquilla and finished on Brandon and cycled in between. Um, there's a, an account on the cool. website of it. And uh, sometimes we get people to guess how long it took him to do it. Most people totally overguess it because it took him under 24 hours to oh do my that. Goodness. Very impressive. Uh, that's very impressive that, for anybody for anybody if anyone is watching this from my side of like my social circles they'll definitely know that that's the kind of thing that i would be very very curious about doing in the next 10 years yeah it's really no, cool. it be an ep- epic thing to do so i think there's a similar gap there for doing the four highest mountains in ireland for sure because i don't think anyone's done that by human power and mm-hmm. i certainly Every now and again, I'd look at it from a routing point of view, as in what, because yeah, it's there's definitely different options of what way would you do it. Um, but uh, it's very much one where a cyclist should be the runner because it's far yeah. more a challenge. Whereas the, the, the Monroes are a bit more balanced, it's, uh, it's more 50 50. Yeah, but that sounds so cool. Um, one event that you 
looking back at uh, sort of your race results and stuff, one that you kept hitting consistently from maybe 2009 to 2014 was the Art O'Neill. I'm curious now, is there any interest for you to go back to that race now that it's sort of been changed a little bit and extended out? Um, What was the draw back then? And is would you be drawn back to that race now? Well, it was actually, it was started by a good friend of mine, an old teammate of mine, uh, Garo Tawi. He, he, he started the first uh, race version of it, uh, which obviously I took part in. And there wasn't a huge amount of people that year, but it was a, a brilliant idea and I loved it. Now, obviously, the Art O'Neill walk has been going on for a lot longer, but turning it into a race was was brilliant idea I thought and whilst also keeping to the, the Art O'Neill walk tradition so that's absolutely perfect um, would it draw me back absolutely should I do it logically I shouldn't because I'm unbeaten <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> chance of that staying that way now that I'm uh, a couple of years older and to the wrong side of 50 at this point uh, <laughs> a bit slimmer but funny if you say you know making it bigger it was actually the courses shortened over the years rather than lengthened because uh when it was first run uh Bally Smonton bridge was out of action so we had to take a long loop around uh by a Kapoor, uh house to to avoid the bridge so it's actually become a quicker event since uh over the years so my best times in it are easily beaten because uh, my best times are on a much longer course <laughs> so yeah. My fastest time on it is, is only my fastest time because it's the, the shortest version of the course that I was able to do at the time. <laughs> well, I believe I, I saw on the on the Facebook page it might have just been specific for this year if they if like if it was to go ahead um in the world of COVID, um that they'd be finishing it at the um Glen no, what's it called? Glenmore Lodge. Yeah, yeah, and you have to go within three hundred meters of the cross, as opposed to just going up by three lakes. Yeah, um, I like I yeah. like the idea of going close to the cross because uh, it's it's not the optimal route. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> For, forcing people onto it is a good idea. I think actually. No, I mean it's definitely not the when I did it in. Uh, la- goodness me, it was last year. Uh, it's definitely not the route I took. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, uh, yeah, and apart from the Art O'Neill, what? sort of Irish ultra races would you have you've probably well you've done most of them now at this stage but would you recommend for somebody to have on their Irish bucket list if we're going to get back into racing before international travel for example who what should people be looking out for well there's there's a lot out there you know there's a lot to choose from it it's actually quite hard to pick out in the sense that there's a few I still want would like to get to because I haven't done them yet um but the ones that there's a few that are special to me. Um, like art is definitely one. Um, probably uh, the um, the Wicklow Way is is one that's special to me because you know I I, I was I, I I ran it solo just to set the record and thought when I did it and when I reached the end I thought oh man thank God I'll never have to do that again and I've, I've run it twice since including the worst running in the race <laughs> so it's it's just great that something that was seen as a um, real out there thing to do that only lunatics would take on is now a race that you know you have all loads and loads of people completing and, and competing very well which is it's great to see you know and I love that um, 
Also, um, the Morris Mullins Ultra is Ireland's oldest. You know, it's a straightforward route, but it's still a great route. And uh, the tradition of it is fantastic. Uh, you know, uh, you are really running in the footsteps of almost every Irish ultra runner who, who ever existed. So it's a great one to do for that. Plus, it's a great race. You know, it's, you tend to get about 200, 250, you know, for a race that used to have 10 or 12 when it was first <laughs> on yeah. it turned into something amazing so i like it as a race it's for me these days it's a bit too short and intense at, at 50k um but i still love it uh i still i'll still be out there on the day observing even when i'm racing it myself uh the other one i love is, is probably the longest one in ireland which i i finally got to have a crack at last year which is the, the carryway ultra which um I just, it's an epic course you know that 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 course would stand up internationally, no problem. You know, uh, yeah. If, you, if international runners came over, uh, they'd be bowled over by what? Yeah, they, that, that was definitely one of the questions I was curious about. Um, was like how the Irish ultra running and ultra ultra racing more so scene stacks up against um some more of the international stuff. Like we might not have the crazy thousand plus meter mountain or two thousand plus meter mountains. Um, but from your experience, how do they how do they stack up? Well, uh, our our races run slow because they're they're difficult. Um, if you compare the times of American races to Irish races, uh, Irish we tend to get lower points in terms of our our uh, ITRA points because the races are actually more technically difficult. So we're running on bog, and you know yeah. we're not running on smooth. Uh, trails like the americans are really spoiled uh, generally in terms of the nature of the trails that they're running on are, are quite fast whereas ours are quite slow and take a lot more concentration even the good ones can be you know tricky you know <laughs> that, that there's always curveballs out there and if, if the trails don't get you the weather will you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> something will get you so uh, in terms of uh experience it's different you know it's it's um it's it depends what you're looking for in it you know that if if you have the continents coming over they'll get it they'll find it very novel and very interesting and they'll love it you know and if we go to the continent we find it very novel and very interesting because it's different you know it's uh, yeah so uh but it definitely stands up there and and as a country we we definitely uh we perform above our, our level of population in terms of uh, where we're at in the ultraman world, and it's come on a huge amount in the last uh, five years, ten years. It's been unbelievable. You know, when I first started ultra running, the Irish Ultra Running Union, as it was then, could have held its. Uh, we literally held the um, the AGM around the couch because there was only four of us there. <laughs> wow, uh, that was pretty much everyone who was interested in ultra running at the time. You know, uh, so things have changed a huge amount since then which is great. Why, why do you think why do you think that is considering that you've really been um at the the head of this in the this sort of explosion of the sport in the past like 10 years or so as you say why do you think it is that so many more people are attracted to it now? I honestly I don't know but I, I'm just really really glad to see it <laughs> you know yeah. it's great I couldn't really explain it um God knows, <laughs> but yeah, long may it continue, and hopefully yeah, continue growing on itself. And the good thing is, it does tend to uh, to, to grow on itself. Like I, it's most obviously measurable with uh, the likes of twenty four hour running, where uh, it's come on so much. You know, not many people would have run a hundred miles 
uh, 10 years ago, but we're getting, you know, 20 plus people doing it in one race consistently yeah. in a year, which is, which is fantastic, you know? I mean, it means, it means more competition and it means, well, more money in the sport as well and more awareness around the sport. Yeah, and it's all good, absolutely. And uh, the more people are in it, the more it attracts uh, sponsors and so on. Plus, uh, the more races there are, the better. And uh, the number of races keeps on growing, which is fantastic. And it's, it's, a, it's a good feedback loop. You know, the races aren't cannibalizing each other either. You know, there, there's yeah. enough room for everyone, you know, that no race. Stealing their their competitors, it just there's, there's room to grow, which is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, there, there was just a little bit of weird feedback there, but I think I think we got you. Um, uh, two two questions here. I'm getting a suspicion that they're coming. Um, that's more than a suspicion because I know who the questions are coming from. Some sneaky insights um, into your opinions on these but have you any interest in running the sleeve bloom way which is about 70k or do you and another one from um patrick ward do you have any plans for future expedition style races oh uh sleeve bloom way i don't know it's to be honest but uh if it's there i'm always interested <laughs> yeah. for sure. uh loads of sleeve blooms anyway uh it's a good mountain biking trails after opening up down there as well i believe um and it certainly looks interesting from a distance um in terms of expeditions yeah there's always more stuff out there you know um <laughs> well, there's, there's so many races i'd like to do yeah mm -hmm. long ones especially that it's uh it's just trying to pick what's what's doable you know at the moment um you know we're pretty much shut down in terms of even thinking about these things but uh, when it comes back i de there are definitely a lot of things i'd like to do but uh, uh multi-day adventure racing uh not so much uh, i wouldn't be able to compete in them like i used to but i i would actually be perfectly happy to go around and, and do what i used to call adventure tourism <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> experience and try to keep my competitors down a bit and rained in so lot because uh, you can have a lot of fun doing that but yeah there's lots so many races i'd like to do out there you know i, I couldn't even begin to to start listening and as i say one of the big ones i hit hit knocked off last year with the carry away ultra you know it's, yeah the, even though it's, it's relatively local it was still a big target you know and uh, it's still on the target list because i didn't do it justice last year so <laughs> we might see you there again next year then hopefully hopefully and um, so i'm just a bit conscious of time uh here now we're nearing in on the on the hour and i think that's the cutoff for instagram live so i just have a couple of uh quick fire questions um that i've got here um you can take your time and you don't have to be super quick with the responses they're just basically yes or no's but um where will your first post lockdown run be the first post lockdown run is oh, like race even yeah the training run will just be carry on keep going yeah. <laughs> those long runs where i don't have to worry about running into a guard checkpoint or anything like that just keep on going yeah um first race uh well i'm kind of i'm exploring the possibilities of getting out racing during the lockdown uh just seeing if i can get uh that's the whole question about elite level sport etc you know because mm. 
generally I'm competing at elite level internationally. So uh, <laughs> I would actually like to take it, the opportunities of any races that are going on and get out there under those circumstances, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, it'll be whatever the, the next race is. I've got plenty of races entered this year. So once, uh, once I'm able to get to one, uh, that, that one will be the first one. And I did see one of the questions rolled by there about the Biggs Backyard. I am entered into Biggs Backyard. So <laughs> that's one of the ones Amazing. I would hope to be able to get to later in the year. Well, well, that's sort of that's the that's the the second of, of my list of questions was a race that you're motivated by at the moment. So I suppose that that's probably top of the list, is it? Uh, no, again, what tends to motivate me more sometimes it's uh, you'll you'll have a big bucket list that's top of the list, irrespective of what's coming up next. An example mm. of that would have been the Barclay. Once I got my entry to Barclay confirmed, everything between the the Barclay and the, and the point that when I got the entry confirmed was like turned into a training run, you know. So that year's mm -hmm. spine turned into a training run. I cancelled yeah. the Grand Canary, trying the Grand Canary because it's like no, it's it's too close to Barkley. So sometimes a big bucket list like that will be done, but usually it's the next race, whatever's next. Yeah, uh, that you know. Then once I'm once I'm as soon as I'm finished that, it's okay. What's next? You know. Or maybe not as soon as, but pretty soon yeah. afterwards, once I'm recovered. Um, so yeah, it, it, at the moment it's, it's next race. You know, yeah, that's, mm -hmm. that's the focus. <laughs> and do you think we'll see you at the Barclays again? Uh, I'd love to say yes, but uh, I, I certainly will try to get there. But uh, yeah, obviously, <laughs> to get there, trying to get to get there, it's all very different things at the Barclays. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we could probably do a whole Instagram live just talking about your experience at the Barclay Marathons, but um, we'll have to save that for another day. Um, are you a morning or an evening run person? Evening. I'm, uh, I'm an evening person, full stop. Uh, I'm definitely not a morning person. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, yeah, I tend to stay up late at night uh, off my own bat and... Uh, yeah, I'm I'm an owl rather than a lark. That's my my body clock. So, but having said that, at weekends I I get up and I start and I go for a long run, both Saturday and Sunday. That's generally what the game plan is. Uh, but mm -hmm. that's just because that's what the game plan is. So it, I can run in the morning, but usually uh, lifestyle dictates that it's the evening. But when it comes to racing, I I, I wouldn't actually have a huge preference. Uh, you know. I mean, it's it's good to stay flexible, especially for something like the Barclays that you're oh, given yeah. like a 12 hour window. <laughs> yeah, and any race, you never know that all sorts of things can kick in, you know. And I suppose mm. with with ultras anyway, um, I, that's one thing I say is you know, you're, if you don't know about circadian rhythms before a multi day adventure race, you know all about them afterwards because they find you <laughs> in time. You know, you'll be swearing them afterwards. <laughs> it's a, it's very very primal know about them straight away and you realize that. I remember getting um, questioned uh, in the middle of the spine race because they, they had medics and they were just checking our sanity basically and uh, they mm -hmm. stopped me in the middle of the night running along Hadrian's wall <laughs> and they asked me uh, what day it was and what I wanted to say was I don't bloody care all I know is the sun has set <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and then the sun will rise. That's that's all. <laughs> that's all time meant to me at that point. Yeah. It's very, very it becomes very, very primal, and it's it's one of the interesting things about 
you know, really long races, uh, it really gets into your head and it totally mm-hmm. alters your outlook on uh, the universe. And, uh, you know, if you spend four or five days doing the same thing continuously, it really hammers into your brain. Uh, it takes a long time to recover from that. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've, I've been, found myself sleepwalking after multi-day adventure races. And it usually takes about two weeks for my dreams not to be about finding the next control. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> likewise, uh, after a long ultra race, I usually wake up running. You know, I mean, it's just, yeah. Well, I, I think that's that's probably an apt place to to end it, considering uh, who you are um, in the life of ultra running. Like, um, we'll all be having dreams of running in the middle of the night by moonlight now this evening. But thanks very much for for jumping on with us, uh, Ian. Oh, and welcome. hopefully, we'll hopefully we'll have you back on at some point in the in the coming months, and maybe have a race to talk about then. Hopefully, that would be great. (laughs) Well, thanks again. Thanks so much for for coming on. And thanks, everybody, for all the questions. And uh, And hopefully we'll get you back on again. uh, Pass by there. A few few old friends there. It's great to see everyone. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, well, I'll I'll say goodbye now. And uh, yeah, good to talk to you. All right, we'll see you. Good luck. Bye. See you again. Bye-bye. Bye. You guys enjoyed that chat with Ian there. I thought it was really good, honestly. Even just selfishly, I could talk to that man for for hours. Um, so we will definitely be getting him back on for another live in the coming months. And as I say, hopefully have an event to talk about by then. Uh, but thanks very much for for tuning in. Um, yeah. Thanks so much. And keep an eye out. We're going to be doing another live again with uh, John O'Regan in about a week's time. So keep an eye out for that option. And obviously, as always, there'll be a box to leave your questions for him in. Uh, We'll be discussing training mainly. So thanks so much for tuning in. And we'll see you guys for the next live whenever we do that. Okay.